Then we shared about kingdom abundance last week, and we are concluding our series talking about legacy. Before I begin, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that I would just fade out and your word would go forth and accomplish that for which you want it to for every life represented here. I pray it would speak their language. And you promised, God, that your word will not return void. So let it have its way in everyone's life. Father, we need to hear from you, God. We need to hear from you, God. There's so many competing voices and influences, God. So we center ourselves this morning on you, God. Speak to your people, Lord. We humble ourselves before you. We lay down distractions. We set our minds on things above this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Last week I shared a quote, and I'm going to share it again. On May 12, 1780, John Adams, the second president of the United States, wrote a letter to his wife, Abigail, that will forever mark him as one of the greatest visionaries of all time. He said, I must study politics and war that my sons may have the liberty to study mathematics and philosophy. My sons ought to study mathematics and philosophy, geography, natural history, naval architecture, commerce and agriculture culture in order to give their children a right to study painting, poetry, music, agriculture, architecture, statuary, tapestry, and porcelain. John Adams' understanding of legacy is not just insightful, it's deeply profound. His explanation of the responsibility of each generation to leave an inheritance to future generations is at the very core of the heart of God himself. The kingdom of God by its very nature is metamorphosing, expanding, and increasing in its influence, power, and glory from generation to generation. Don't you be deceived and think the kingdom of God is not ever on the increase. From glory to glory, the kingdom of God is moving. It is not in the decrease. It is on the increase. About 2,700 years ago, the prophet Isaiah spoke of the perpetual expanding nature of God's word. It says in Isaiah 9-7, he proclaimed that there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. No end to the increase of his government or of peace. Jesus, in his own words, echoed this notion while he said in John fourteen twelve, Truly, truly, I say to you, He who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And what works? Greater works than these he will do because I go to the Father. Increase, glory, greater works. That's the kingdom of God. The goal of joining the generations is that the next generation will embrace the core values of the previous generation and then build on them. The 21st century generation is the most creative, innovative, inventive generation ever to come. They will cure cancer, eradicate poverty, and create a global community that embraces and perpetuates peace. Or they will utterly fail, one or the other. I want to share a story with you. I remember a season when my kids began to behave very entitled. Anyone know about entitlement? I couldn't take them to a public place, a Target, a 7-Eleven. I couldn't even drive by places without them saying what they wanted. If they didn't want to have kids, 
what they want, wanting something, expressing their desire for something. We're checking out in the checkout. You know, all those checkout stands are totally like the demise of parents. They place all these bright, colorful things. And I remember my kids just wanting and wanting and wanting. At this time, that was bothersome to me. It was on staff at the Anaheim campus as the kids pastor overseeing two campuses. I would drop my kids off at our forum campus that was in a downtown area of Anaheim and they would attend there. And then I would drive over to our other campus and kind of go back and forth based on needs at those campuses. We were running about a thousand kids between the two campuses and volunteers. And it was just a busy Sunday morning. At this time, it was Christmas season, and we were hosting a musical at the downtown campus. For three or four days, we had this musical. About 14,000 people came through our doors to watch that musical, hear the gospel. It was a powerful time. And we promised to give every child a gift that came through our doors. So I remember um, seeing this one little boy every day of the musical. He would just keep coming back through the doors and going into the gift line. And I remember noticing him and he he would walk up to his mom and all the kids were tearing into their presence as soon as they got them, but he wouldn't open his gifts. And and I saw him every day. And finally I was like, I need to know him. Like I just had my eye on him. So his name was Antoine. So I introduced myself and I talked to Antoine and his mom. And it turns out that they were having a hard time. And the reason she was bringing him every week was because that was the only Christmas gifts that were going to be under his tree that year because of their situation. So when she heard about the free gift being handed out at church, she brought him every day. She would not let him open his gifts. He had to take them home and they were being placed there for him to open on Christmas morning. And something in me was like, okay, Holy Spirit, what are you saying here? So I latched on to Antoine and I asked his mom, I said, in my heart, I knew, man, if my kids could be that, that humble, like the way he was behaving, so like so grateful for those gifts. So I said to Keisha, was his mom, I said, Keisha, I would love to be able to take my kiddos and pick up Antoine and, and take him out and do Christmas for him. And this became a tradition with us and Antoine. We began to take Antoine for birthday and then Christmas, and we would go into his neighborhood and the kids pick up Antoine and they, they couldn't buy a single thing at target, just Antoine. It was all him. He got to walk through target. He got to pick whatever he wanted. One year, I remember he wanted this penny board, which is this kind of skateboard. And my son Jude wanted the same gift. And you should have seen Jude at the skate shop, like (laughs) trying to hold it together as his little buddy got to pick any board he wanted. But I tell you what, something broke off my kids when we had to drive Antoine home and his mom was dealing with alcoholism and they had to see the situation he was in. And his Antoine's attitude was so thankful. He was so, oh, thank you, Pastor Anna. Thank you so much. This, the kid was a blessing to us. His response and his attitude was such a blessing. And something began to break off of my kids, that entitlement and that spirit that had welled up in them. This young boy was doing something for my kids that helped 
alter the complaining in my home. And the challenge with John Adams' vision of each generation building on the next generation's accomplishments is that those who make up the current generation often forget the sacrifice it took to get us where we are and to have such an amazing inheritance. They appear to not value it, like our kids don't value what we're laying down for them because they don't know what to do to sustain it. They're not aware. They weren't aware of how to build it or how to sustain it. An attitude of thanksgiving which is what I'm trying to teach my kids and what Antoine taught us, is the only effective inoculation against the entitlement and pride that wants to well up in people. An attitude of thanksgiving is the only inoculation against entitlement and pride. When Joel and I showed up at the Rock Anaheim to go on staff there, we had surrendered our church in Seal Beach. It became a campus of the Rock. And when I showed up, we moved to Fullerton, And let's just say I had gotten a little bit of um, a spirit of complaining in me. I was stopping to recognize God's faithfulness. I don't know how it happens. It doesn't happen one day. It happens over time, right? So I remember getting there to Fullerton, and I had a real grumbling attitude, and I was really missing out on something. And we were, they had just produced an album at our campus there in Anaheim called We Are a Thankful People. And I put that album in, and I tell you what, the great work that God did in me is he restored a thankfulness to me. Because entitlement and pride and those grumbling and complaining is the direct opposite of gratitude and thankfulness. And I see it in my kids. And if I want to leave a legacy in the generation, you have to change that. You have to bring nobility and honor and gratitude to the kids. So I remember just walking around the house as God was restoring my thankfulness, and I would just start calling out things I was grateful for. Lord, I'm thankful for the plumeria tree, God. That is so beautiful that you placed that in our, and it got small. I thank you for cottage cheese. I like cottage cheese and every little thing. It just, and I tell you it works. I remember starting this list with my sister and my sister is like, 90s R&B. Thank you, Lord, for 90s R&B. Like we would send these texts back and forth to one another. Oh man, I love when, um, like just, you know, all those I love lists. Well, God loves that. And that began to heal me just calling forth. I would just be thankful and thankful and thankful until something would swell up in me and gratitude would come and entitlement would fall. And that is the only inoculation against pride and entitlement. Is an attitude of thanksgiving. That thanksgiving must be rooted in recounting the perseverance and sacrifice of others. We must remember the exploits of our historic forefathers and foremothers, or we digress. If we don't recall that and remember that, what it took to get here, we will digress. You know what one of my biggest pet peeves is? People who have to, like, are instant gratification people. Like, they say it one day and the next. Then I have to give my husband as an example, though. Like, this week, he's like, I'm going to run a few days, and I'm going to get, you know, like, slim down a little bit. The guy ran two days, and he, like, lost all this weight. He's not a good example. I try that. You know what I mean? Like I try to do 10 sit-ups does nothing for me, but people are like that. They work out one day and they want the results the next day. The result is that people believe that they should get what they want when they want it, regardless of our circumstances. It's a myth. 
The mentality is expressed a hundred or a thousand ways in our society. For example, the credit card. Do you know the credit card has only been around 50 years? So that means our great-grandparents actually had to have money to buy what they wanted. I know it's shocking that people actually had to have money to buy what they wanted. It seems almost ridiculous nowadays. Another symptom of the instant gratification culture is that it takes away our motivation to persevere. It takes, it totally robs us of our motivation to get gritty, wait for some things, believe for something. It takes that away, the motivation to persevere through tough times in order to apprehend our aspirations because we can just charge it. You know, we can have whatever we want because you can just charge it. And I'm telling you, it's damaging us as a culture and a society. When you charge it, Rather than wait, you're stunting the soil of the kingdom prosperity that wants to erupt in your life. It's rather, let me have it my way and get it when I want it. Um, This past week, our son Jude is on a baseball team. He's in the AAA Angels is his team. And I got a call from school. And whenever you see the school's number pop up, thankfully, my kid, it's never been like assaulting anyone. It's always like they have to call you if they get bumped on the head and go to the office. So they call. I have four kids at the school, so I get some calls, y'all. So I got a call. I see the school's phone number pop up. And she says, the, the advice nurse in the office says, Jude got stung by a bee. And for most kids, that's normal. But Jude's allergic to bees. So by the time I get there to pick him up, his hand is swelling up like a baseball mitt. It's like tripling in in size so rapidly. So I said, okay, well, I'll be right there. And I know what's happening. I didn't want to alarm them. I pick him up. We head home. And he's got to be home for the rest of the day. We called it his chunky hand. It got so huge. I was like, you're not even going to need your baseball glove. It looks like a mitt. It's like, so anyways, he had a baseball game that night. So we're going to get him ready for baseball. And he is resisting me. He can't pull his pants up. He can't put his shirt on because it's huge. And it's his right hand and it's his pitching hand. But I saw something come over him about midway through the process of getting ready for baseball. There was a perseverance that I hadn't seen in my son in a while that began to well up. He laid there on the floor with his pants like, I cannot get my pants. And then something came over him. And he got up. He's like, I can do it. I'm going. I'm going to play baseball. And he did. He got dressed. He got out the door. He didn't play so good because he couldn't grip his bat because his hand was so puffy. But he got there. He persevered. And I'm telling you, when you see people persevere in tough times, it's so rare in some ways that it's marvelous to witness that perseverance, that endurance to not just give up when it doesn't go your way right away. In a strange way, our supernatural culture can feed our impatient obsession with that we believe in miracles, which is an immediate intervention of God in a situation. But we so believe in that we can undervalue the life's processes that are often rooted in perseverance, just perseverance, just continuing on even when it's tough. I'm reminded of the parable of the widow who wore out the wicked judge. If you want to turn there with me in Luke 18, verse 1, it'll also be up on the screen for you. Yeah, this woman, she was, she was determined. She wasn't relenting. And she comes in verse 1, it says, Jesus is talking to his disciples. And he says, and he told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always pray and not lose heart. He said, In a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God 
nor respected man. And there was a widow in the city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you that he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Jesus told his guys this parable to keep them from wimping out in prayer by quitting before they get answers. Persevere with those prayers over your kids, your families, your children's children. We ask that you share your requests with us here at the Rock South County. We ask that you write those things on the back so we can contend and believe with you because it matters when you persevere that you would see God answer, but there's a persistence. This woman was persistent. And what it's saying is if even an unrighteous judge would finally give in because of her persistence. How much more would our righteous, holy God be inclined to your prayers and long to answer them in his timely manner? The Bible is very clear that God knows about time. He said in this word, in the fullness of time, God sent his son. God is aware of the timing of things, but he loves your persistence to contend and believe and not lose heart over those things. The New Living Translation of James 5.16 says this, The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Jesus closes this parable with a profound question about whether or not when he returns, will he even find faith? On earth, anyone still believing that God answers prayer? Unyielding persistence, prolonged. That I refuse to give up, Lord, until you answer me. It's the instant gratification or I have to have it now mentality that is inspired by the wrong kingdom. If you are perpetually needing things now, I want it now. God, if you don't come through, I'm going to take matters into my... That is not inspired by the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God will tarry and wait and persevere and believe God. And then you'll get your suddenlies. But your suddenlies take some time, you know, some praying, some contending, some believing. I have my son Jude, the baseball player. He's all, he can sing too. I tell you what... He'll be in the shower. I remember this one time, that song, Our God is Greater. You know that song, Our God is Strong? And he was belting that. And he has this like deep and beautiful voice. But I'm looking at him and sometimes I'm seeing some behavior that is not pleasing. But I know there's a gift and an anointing in my son to sing. So I was in my quiet time the other day and I was, I was listening to this young boy, about 14 years old, sing a worship song to the Lord. 
And I began to contend for my son, Jude. The spirit of God was strong in me to just say, I know his behavior seems this way. I know I'm seeing these things that don't look like who you created him to be sometimes, God. But I'm calling forth the worshiper. I'm calling forth that son of mine that is going to glorify you, that is going to lead people to you through his singing, God. It's like that perseverance to not just look with what we see, but realize there's a generation coming after us. And we're going to sow seeds into their destiny with the words of our mouth and our expectations of God, not just turning them over and losing hope like, well, that doesn't look like he's going to make good decisions. No, I am not going to shrink back. I am believing God for some things over my kids and I have to use my mouth to contend for it. Those fervent, effectual prayers of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. The first week when I spoke, On the spirit of mammon, I talked about the abundance of God's kingdom, that we will apprehend that abundance by baby steps of maturity, by baby steps of maturity and managing our resources. It's not hastily shooting up. It's that God will guide you to steward what he's given you over time. There's no get rich quick schemes in the kingdom of God. That's the wrong kingdom. It's growth. It's stretching. We like the sound of abundance and inheritance and legacy. And God is showing us that perseverance of the generations before must be acknowledged and stewardship and thankfulness and ridding ourselves of this entitled mindset is our key to flourishing in these days. Perseverance is not a gift or just a personality type. Oh, well, they're just like that. They just are able to persevere. I'm not like that. It's a choice we make to refuse to give up when life gets tough. It's a choice we make. The fruit of perseverance is great character and promises actualized. In fact, perseverance is to our souls what exercise is to our bodies. It stretches us. It strengthens us. When we push against the challenges of our life, our inner man and our inner woman gain strength day by day, fortifies you on the inside. When I believe that legacy and those things and prosperity are an inside out work, they're not an outside in. I told you about that. You give someone an inheritance and say you gave someone a hundred thousand dollars and their inside is impoverished. Their soul is not um, responding in, 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 in prosperity as God wants to prosper you. They'll take that money and you'll, they'll reduce it to nothing very rapidly. Whereas you take someone with soul prosperity on the inside, they can take very little and multiply it with God's help. It's on the inside as God prospers you inside out and legacy is prospering on the inside out and then knowing what to do with your life. We must realize if we want to see John Adams dream of perpetually advancing the generations, we must instill nobility in the hearts of the generations that follow us. Many people cannot move forward in life because they are fixed on past failures. Many people are not moving forward in life because they're fixed on their past failures. They spend so much time punishing themselves for mistakes instead of receiving Christ's forgiveness. Vision for the future. Your vision for your future will inspire others around you. So we don't spend our time looking back in regret while trying to plow our field of prosperity and legacy for future generations to come. Luke verse chapter 9, verse 62 says, No one 
after putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. People who continually look backwards while tilling their field of their dreams will never be fulfilled. I remember when I got born again, that's my personality. I am like, yesterday is done. I am like always in, like trying to be in the future. I had this sticker on my bike. My dad said, it said, lead, follow, or get out of the way. I'm trying to go somewhere. Literally, little kid like this. And I felt when I came into the walking with Christ, I loved that the kingdom of God to me had this forward movement, this glory to glory. I sensed it. And I felt so at home in the kingdom of God because the mindset is no one is going to advance by looking backwards. And it is the wrong kingdom that is trying to keep you looking back and regret and, and mistakes of your past rather than keep you fixated on going forward. God never asks us to go back. God will never ask you to dwell in the past and go back to those things. He says, looking ahead to the author and finisher. I've always had that sense as a Christian. There was an about face in me and there's an about face in me now. God, you're up to something. You're moving us forward. It's it's undeniable. That is the kingdom of God, ever increasing glory to glory, greater works, greater power. We're not shrinking back. I'm not rehearsing and I pray you're not rehearsing the failures of your past. As far as east is west, they've been removed. And I said at first service, I believe there's people that really need cleanup and closure on some things of their past because every time you turn around, the play reel of past mistakes are running through your mind and it's derailing your destiny and your ability to advance into the future with great momentum and confidence. God never asks us to go back. Yesterday is history. Clean up and closure. When you keep your eyes on the task in front of you, hope and faith begin to rise. When you keep your eyes on the task in front of you, hope and faith begin to rise. Hope is what feels a deep sense of destiny. And faith will see the promises long before they're actualized. I tell you what, I see something in my spirit for my personal life, my family's life, this church. I know there's vision inside that it's like you might not see it with your eyes in your own situation. But it's like that story of that dad who put his little daughter up on the the front of a boat and he was holding on to her. And she said, daddy, I can see farther than my eyes can look. She was seeing like beyond. And that is vision that even though you might not see the generations coming after you, your kids or your grandkids or people around you that you've invested in, maybe you're not seeing what you expect to see, but hope you cannot lose hope for these things. When you lose hope, legacy is, is decimate. You know what I mean? As soon as you stop believing, you cut short legacy because you stop investing You stop sowing seeds, you stop speaking words of life, and then you cut that thing short, what God wants to do. Faith sees the promises long before they are actualized. Ask God to give you a vision for your family, your legacy, your kingdom impact. P.K. Bernard said it best, a man without a vision is a man without a future. A man without a future will always return to its past. You have to be so captivated with where God is taking you and the potential of what he could do that dwelling in the past will feel so 
so like a counterfeit, like such a waste of time for where God is taking you. I will only, the only time I really dwell in the past is about like this. It's like when I'm ready to enter into worship before the Lord, it's like he'll take me back like where I was when he called me by name. Do you know, like, I remember the night when I really heard the spirit of God call me out of darkness into marvelous light. That's about far back as I go. I don't rehash the sins of my past before I was walking with God. Just far enough back to go, man, Lord, I remember how dark it felt. I remember hearing you call me by name, and I I knew it was you, and running hard to you. And then I enter into worship. I do this all the time. I just go that far back to that call, but not rehashing all that stuff. God would never take you that far back. That's the wrong kingdom speaking to you if you're dwelling on past failures and mistakes. The Spirit of God is ever advancing. Glory to glory. Things are coming increase to increase, not backwards. I had a verse as a young mom. It was out of Proverbs 31, I told you, um, when we prayed over the moms. She senses the worth of her work and is in no hurry to call it quits for the day. These are the kinds of things that would perpetuate me to have hope for the future as a, a young mom and working with my kiddos, that it was like, no, I know innately if no one thanks me, and do you think they thanked me? They were like zero, I mean, a baby, a two-year-old, a four-year-old, six-year-old. No, they were not thanking me. So God gave me this promise. She senses the worth of her work and is in no hurry to call it quits for the day. It was like I had to get that deep down down inside of me. So I didn't get entitled, which would lead to um, ungrateful behavior that I had to know, God, this worth, this work is worth it. Even if they don't say anything. And I know that this mother's day, mother's day can have some expectations and you might have some unmet expectations today as moms, but just know that I would tell you today that God knows the worth of your work and you are sowing seeds and you don't know when those things are going to sprout up and return to you, but it'll be such a blessing. Man, I love my mom. You know, today, this is my mom. My mom says to me via email, do not buy me flowers. Do not send me anything. I do not want this, this. She listed. She will not let me bless her. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm leaving here. And I'm going and buying the biggest bouquet of flowers. And I'm going by her house. And I said, I don't listen to you. You've sown seeds, woman of God. You got to reap out of that. Don't deny yourself that reaping from the seeds you've sown into us kids. You know what I mean? So sow, plant, give. Don't look back as you plow your field. Look forward to what God wants to do with you. I'm going to her house. I didn't tell my husband that, but got to go by Bubby's house and bless her socks off. Man, I love you guys. This is so exciting what God is doing in the midst of us. His word is true. Jesus is real. In order to create a culture where each generation can live in the kingdom that is advancing from glory to greater glory, we must create a capacity for greater glory inside of us. Otherwise, it's like my kids at Target with their entitlement. Quick answers and external prosperity will act as a counterfeit to true inside-out prosperity of soul. If you don't create a culture of greater glory inside, then you will be, you will be tempted by a counterfeit. 
that says the outside accolades. God is trying to say to us over the last few weeks, abundance is an inside out work. Prosperity is a prospering of the soul on the inside and it will manifest in the outside. You give someone who's prospering in soul an amount of resources and money, they will be able to multiply that, to know what to do with that and to cause it to birth and do greater than they could imagine. You give resources to someone who is not prospering in soul, does not have the mind of Christ, is not connected the spirit of God being on their resources, they will squander it and reduce it to the level of their, how their insides feel. You can't take someone up. It's an inside out job. It's got to be that way. The apostle Paul instructed Timothy to invest his life in faithful men who would be able to pass on God's truth to the next generation. We got to pass this stuff on. Perseverance and passing on perseverance. Inheritance is like someone gives you money, you receive an inheritance. Heritage is what I'm really excited about too, which is passing on perseverance to your kids. Nobility, that you would create a culture of honor in your home, that they would receive honor as a heritage. Not just handing them something, but teaching them through life and how your family abides that those things are passed on. A few points on legacy, and then we'll close up. Number one, your legacy begins in your heart and your relationship with God. Psalm 112 verses 1 through 2 says, How blessed is the man or woman who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. His descendants will be mighty on the earth, the generation of the upright will be blessed. Your legacy begins in your heart, your life in Christ and knowing him and honoring him. I've been marching around the house yesterday declaring Deuteronomy 28 says, and all these blessings shall rise up and overtake you. If you will keep my commandments or my statutes and walk in my ways, it's like, it's hitting me like, Oh my goodness, Lord, there is an unstoppable rhythm to your increase and your potential. If we will keep your commandments and walk in your ways, you got to shed the culture of the world and walk in the kingdom of God and do it his ways. And you've been given the Holy Spirit that will help you do that. He governs those things. Shut your mouth. You know, he'll say, zip. My father-in-law would say that if he was ready to say something that wouldn't bless us. Zip. The Holy Spirit helps you know when to quiet down and when to talk up, when to sow and when to wait for something. You know what I mean? He's, he's there to help us do that. Number two, your legacy as a Christian will always have a compassion aspect. It will always have an element of you moving in compassion. It says in Matthew 9, 36, and seeing the multitudes, he, Jesus, felt compassion for them. You will have a heart to impact your world as part of your legacy. As I mature, as I've walked with God more, I've stopped being just about like my family. Now I'm like, now I'm like Africa. Okay. I went to Nigeria and now I'm watching movies and I'm realizing the potential that you as one person full of the Holy Spirit, understanding your mandate as a Christian, moving in compassion can infect, I mean, affect nations for God's glory and honor. Your legacy will have a compassion aspect. I I feel so convinced for the urgency of the gospel. 
I cannot stop thinking about salvation for people. And I'm wrecked. It's like, I can't not think about it. I can't imagine having anything besides the gospel, then people being born again and understanding the love of God. When I walk with him and experience his, the saturation of his love, it's like, I want everyone to know until all have heard until the city is ablaze with his glory. We will not stop. This church has a mandate of a great sweeping work of salvation. And I see it in my spirit and we will see it with our eyes and it'll be marvelous to behold because we're moved in compassion to share the love of God until all are saved, till all are have heard the good news. Amen. Number three. Pray God will use you to accomplish his purposes. Ask him, like it says in Chronicles, 1 Chronicles chapter 4, verse 10. Oh, that you would bless me indeed, and also that you would enlarge my border, and thy hand be with me, and thou would keep me from harm. Pray this with your family. Pray this and you will see change. Bless us, Lord. Enlarge our turf or the stretch out the stakes of your tent. Enlarge our sphere of influence. God wants to do more than we're expecting of him to do. He has a, a, a mind to do mighty works and he's looking. Have I found faith on this earth is his question. Let it be said of us, Lord, that you will find faith in this house, believing you to do not just for the earth, but my life personally. I don't just want to talk about what God wants to do out there. He loves you. He has a mandate on you. He has graced you and gifted you with gifts to use for his glory. Number four says, use your gifts in your local church. A little plug. Give us a year here. We say that all the time. Give us a year here at The Rock. We need strong, godly people with vision for their communities and a destiny that's birthing in them from hope. Hope births destinies. Hope is the language your destiny speaks. If you've lost hope in any area of your life, that's number one. You got to get before the Lord, make him some lists of gratitude, ask him to search you and know you see where something went off course and get back on track because he has a destiny for you. And I'm telling you, you don't want to miss it. I know people say, oh, Jesus is returning soon. I don't know when he's coming. I'm expecting to have grandkids and go on. And so that's why I have vision because I'm not like waiting for Jesus to return. Like I believe I, I got a mandate and I'm not just hunkering down and not sowing my seeds. I want to see legacy. I want to see kingdom impact. I want to make a difference in this earth. I'm not just getting up, going to work, and then watching my show and going to bed. I have a dream. You have a dream. God made you for something more. And if you're not living it, you're looking back. Do you know what I mean? If you're not living with that sense of destiny, you're looking back on the, the when you should be pressing forward, pressing forward. David Livingstone, a missionary to Africa, said this, I will go anywhere as long as it's forward. I will go anywhere as long as it's forward. And I love this quote about our kids. As we invest in our kids, those people around you, anyone where your sphere of influence would touch, it says, our children are messengers we are sending to a time we will not see. 
We are raising up these kids and we're sending them into a time that we won't be possibly around to see. Will we find that our kids have the nobility of a godly heritage on their life? The word of God soaked and saturated. Up in my boy's room, I have this sign that says, Jude, Cameron, Harrison, you were made for signs and wonders and miracles and not for death and destruction. Um, And then sometimes I look at them and they're like trying to destroy each other, literally with handballs and plastic bats and Nerf. But I'm declaring things over them that I might not be seeing with my physical eyes. That's legacy. That's legacy. That's inheritance. That's building the generation with nobility and honor and leaving something that when it bursts up. And I know there's parents and I look at her, Linda and their, their family and their son is out. Isn't he in the mission field? Somewhere, I mean, it's like there's legacy. We're calling forth the fruit of the seed sown in our kids. Joel, I remember one time when people would come and ask him for, when he was a senior pastor of the church, to do premarital counseling and counseling or talking about having kids. And I remember him one time. He's so wise, you guys. I mean, since I was 23 years old, he's been leading my life into triumph and loving me. Like, I feel like I'm part of his legacy. Do you know what I mean? Godliness, courage, the word of God deep down in him. But I remember him looking at this, these young people that were wanting to have kids and, or someday and them thinking it was all about like their destiny, their destiny. And Joel's like, I wonder if God is more concerned about the destiny of your children than your destiny. Like he's bringing you together because who you're going to birth and who they could be. And I remember sitting there thinking, oh, we didn't have kids at that time. <gasps> we could have kids. And, and it, if we're really believing that the kingdom of God is ever in the increase, then we should be looking at kids and going, greater works will you do. The mantle on you will be greater than it ever was on me. And, not, and just raising them up, filling them with the spirit of God. When we were in the Anaheim campus, I would walk around the room with the, like the five-year-old's class and be like, there could be the next Billy Graham in this room. The word of God going on these kids. This could be, there could be the next president of the United States. You know, John Edwards and his wife, godly, godly family. They did some research about the statistics of their godly heritage. And just out of that family, those, not Jen, did I say John Edwards? I should have written it down. Yeah, Jonathan Edwards, godly, godly man and his wife. They um, said all the statistics of the heritage that came out of it, like a vice president, a hundred judges, like all these political people from a God, like a godly family in a small congregation that birthed out, raising their 14 kids up. And that's what came from them. There is such potential. I pray you would know the worth of your work today, the lasting impact of a godly family and a heritage that would speak life into unbirthed situations not losing heart when you don't see over your situation or your kids, but continue to speak life into those areas and you will reap a harvest, a lasting legacy. Praise God.